Welcome back to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast, Season 2, baby. This is your host, DBT Steph, and I'm so excited to continue sharing and uncovering the many layers of the physical therapy profession so that you can be the best clinician you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. I'm very excited. On today's episode, we have Doctor of Physical Therapy, Jeremy Pastor, and he is the owner of Game Changer PT, which is his own clinic. I'm super stoked to get into these details. Jeremy, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your PT journey so far. Thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Pastor. Like you said, owner of Game Changer Physical Therapy. I'm in Freehold, New Jersey. I opened Game Changer PT in September of 2019, which it's crazy how quickly these years have gone. I kind of had an interesting route to get here. I wouldn't say that I always knew that I wanted to open my own clinic, but circumstances kind of led me down this route. Kind of came out of school, originally working in what I would call like a traditional outpatient setting. Wasn't there for super long, but, you know, was able to meet some some nice people, kind of learned what I did or didn't like about the industry per se. Actually left there and, and moved on to a different company where I stayed for about, I think, three plus years. And partly just my responsibilities within my role with that company kind of showed me that I was capable of running my own clinic. I was actually essentially running my own clinic and help them open multiple locations. So I basically learned all the skills necessary. And then again, due to circumstances, I I got to make a choice. Did I want to have a long commute with some changes that we were making with that company? Or did I want to just kind of like catapult the experience and turn it into my own thing? And short amount of time, I decided to, to just open my own clinic back in 2019. And then, you know, kind of never looked back from there. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting ride. You learn a lot of like along the way, just through practice itself. But I think my experience with working for someone else definitely helped get me to where I am today. That's for sure. That's awesome. And I love that you also emphasized and said like, like that wasn't your goal for a while. Like you kind of just fell into place and just happened based off where you were taking your career at the time. And I think that's super important to point out because a lot of people, especially with social media and the way everyone talks about the negativity of the profession and the reimbursement rates, which we will totally dive into that. But just everyone is always like, wait, is that the only option? Is that where I have to be focused from here on out? So I think it's really important to show that it's an option and you know, kind of also go with the flow and whatever is meant to be will be. How would you describe your transition from like that only clinician role, especially early on, and then to the responsibilities where you slowly were going into that, like running somebody else's clinic and then opening up other clinics before you even got to yours? Again, my experience is very, very unique. And I say that because in terms of job titles, you know, other other people had similar job titles with other companies. But the reason I say it was unique is the autonomy that I was given in my previous job was probably a little bit different than, say, most clinic directors were given. You know, I was really kind of trusted with, with treating the way that I want to, finding the the patients that I wanted to. Like, all they cared about was, like, are you getting the job done? In which case, like, feel free. Like, we trust you. Go and Go and get it done. So, You know, I I think that the transition from, let's just say, like a staff PT to more of a clinic director, I think when you're in that, I guess, uh, sector of the profession, that is really the only way to grow financially, right, is to take on more 
responsibility, right? And to take on more responsibility, pretty much you go from staff PT, you go to a director, maybe if you're with a big enough company, there could be regional directors and maybe some other role. Um, I obviously always enjoyed the, the treatment side of things. So I just cared to kind of maximize what I was able to do within that role. And then, you know, I was always in a one or two PT clinic. So same thing, kind of transitioning into owner, I was always running like a similar size clinic. It was never like I was a director of seven, eight PTs. It was a fairly low volume clinic. So I kind of created my company in, in a similar light. So, you know, I, I think it was a, a fairly seamless transition. Maybe that's just because some of the things naturally I'm comfortable with, but also on the flip side, there are some things that I'm just okay with never doing, where maybe some other people that own their own businesses or directors are care about different things than I do. So I prefer to kind of keep things low volume. I prefer to keep things as low stress as possible. I very much only care about reaching what I'll say is the right people for my business. And I'm okay with not being the right person for everybody. So my company is run very different than you know, I keep using the word traditional, but very different than a, a traditional setting. And I'm okay with that. And that just leads to very different responsibilities and, and expectations. Yeah. So what experiences from that clinical director role or the position that you were in running all those clinics, what experiences or maybe even traits of your own that you've noticed helped you make the transition then to become your own owner? So part of that is you being the person who is responsible for finding your people, right? If you want to say work with athletes, then you have to put yourself in front of people that are athletes that could potentially benefit from your services, right? So, you know, if you want to call it marketing, if you want to call it like PR type stuff, if you want to call it exposure, whatever the case is, right? You, it's now your job to be that person to come up with ideas and execute and be able to get in front of the right people, come up with innovative ways to potentially find people other than, again, just like your traditional go and, and meet a referral source and, and try to build that relationship. But on that side too, right? Like building the right relationships and trying to do things the right way. Me personally, and this is the idealist in me, is I always wanted to be able to build something purely on the backs of being very good at what I do, you know, and I understand that it, it's very idealistic to say that because at the end of the day, I think you still need to be good at selling yourself. You still need to be good at marketing yourself. Um, but I always thought like, if I could just be the absolute best at what I do and deliver a very good product to the people that you see, then I think it's very possible to build a company or a business from that. And I've just worked really hard to try to meet those expectations. And then you basically track things on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis and see where do you need to fill in the cracks? What other things do you need to kind of step up to the plate for? And maybe whether it's see more people, whether it's reach the right people, if you feel like you're not necessarily attracting the patient population that you're looking to work for, whatever the case is, right? So you can never put all your eggs in one basket. But I do think being well-rounded and having experience trying a lot of things for yourself, rather than say relying on a marketing director for your company or relying on if you are just a staff PT, relying on the clinic director, if your goal is to go into one of these roles, just taking on more responsibility and trying these things. Because I think when you are an employee of someone else, the best thing is that you could fail under somebody else's dime, right? Like you can fail for somebody else and still collect your paycheck, right? When you're your own boss, if you quote unquote fail, right, no one's coming in the door. So I like what you said before, where it's like social media kind of paints this picture where everybody has to think the same way, which isn't necessarily true, right? I think that 
if you are interested in doing something like this, be as true to yourself as possible, build a company and build it in the light of, of what your goals are, or I should say, remember the reason why you are starting your company and do your best to stay as consistent with that message as possible. Right. And then just get the experience of the skills that you feel like you're lacking with for as long as you can under someone else's dime. Yeah. And then it ends up being a seamless transition. And then you're always going to end up learning on the job. Yeah. And I think it's super important that you pointed that out. And I, that's how I think of social media sometimes too, because a lot of people, especially nowadays are like, oh, I want to go viral. I want to be, you know, TikTok famous or, you know, all these different things. And I'm like, but what is your reason for actually being on the platform? And I've noticed that, you know, obviously the less focused you are on numbers when it comes to a business, yes, you'd like to make a profit, but if you're going into it because you're burnt out and you're miserable and you feel like you have no other option versus having a passion for a specific population or, you know, a certain type of patient care, it's going to show a lot differently in both spectrums. And I can guarantee you the one that's coming from the burnt out side is probably not going to be nearly as successful as the one who actually is doing it for the right reasons. So I really like that you shared that. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're burnt out, which I completely understand in, in some of these common settings, if you're expecting this to be less work, yeah, you're going to be extremely disappointed in what you find, right? For me, it was more so just the fact that I was doing this exact same thing just for somebody else. And I had, you know, like a capped income, right? It, it could right. have grown over time. And I was extremely happy where I was. Like I had a very good uh, work environment, but I figured, you know what? I've proven that I could do this for somebody else. Now, why not benefit from it financially? And then also truly get to build something in the image of what I want to build, build a brand, right? And do it that way. So again, like the transition ended up being seamless as opposed to just doing it to chase money or to get out of a certain situation. Right. And what are some of the challenges that you may have faced over the past several years, even though you've had all this experience and practically doing it for somebody else, and now you're on your own, you're like, oh, gosh, wait, maybe this is a little more cumbersome than I thought it would be, or maybe there weren't any challenges, maybe it was, like you said, seamless completely. What has your experience been? Obviously, we've had a pandemic, too, which didn't help, but, <laughs> you know. I guess now trying to reflect on it, there are skills that I think that you could just never be taught. You're never going to be taught it in school because it's just not the role of school to teach it, right? And there are certain ways to acquire some of these skills, but like, you know, marketing, running ads, things like that. I do not value bringing lunches to certain <laughs> referral sources, um, so I never have. Yeah, I'm not interested in it, and the people that I have good relationships with know that I'm not interested in it. For me, I think that it's trying to be as consistent as possible as at never doing the things that I went into it saying I wouldn't be willing to do, right? Like always just kind of like sticking true to like what the image of Game Changer PT is going to be, like what the, the core values of, of Game Changer would be and just being really consistent with that. I think early on when I first opened like some of the numbers, right? Like just kind of knowing your numbers, right? Knowing your overhead. If you're someone who's in a position where you need to be profiting immediately, right? Knowing what your numbers are and what numbers you need to hit in order to make sure that this is a necessary risk that makes sense for you to take on right now, right? So understanding that, the small things like building a website, social media type stuff and being consistent with that, all those little uh, things that go so much further than just your day-to-day -day yeah, care. Yeah. Yeah. Like even how to build a business, how to open another bank account, like 
what type of tax distinction you need to be like all things that don't get me wrong rely on professionals to help you i wouldn't do all that all that yourself but like my first website oh man like what it looks like now is not what it used to be right so a lot of things have changed in just a short period of time and and i think also just allowing yourself to to not be perfect immediately and and to allow yourself to grow over time and not think that you know if you're opening tomorrow that everything has to be a finished product tomorrow but otherwise you know i'd say that I always treated somebody else's business like it was mine. It's just my work ethic to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know whether it's pride or ego. I don't know which one, but from a stress or anxiety standpoint, I wouldn't say that I have any like more or less. I always cared about the same things when I was working for somebody else. Just, you know, I think we all know the upside of working for yourself. Right. And I think that's great. And I, and I like that you, you know, point out these little things and, you know, even made a note to hire the professionals. Don't expect things to be perfect right away. And I think my mind just keeps going back to, I know we've talked about certain things in the DMs a bit before this chat, but like mm-hmm. we talk about reimbursement rates. I, I always rant and rave about like the image on social media and everyone's always so quick to say, oh, you just go open up your own clinic. And I'm like, do you think that's a overnight one and done success? Because I've only built my little tiny hub on Instagram and I can imagine opening an actual storefront for like a PT, you know, healthcare related clinic because that work is probably going to be insane. And like you said, it's not going to be perfect, especially right away. It's a very long haul, long journey. And I talk to a lot of clinicians that ask me certain questions and, and I always say the same thing to each one of them. It's, is this a way to potentially earn more than being a staff PT? Of course, but, and I, and I say this as politely as I can, you have to have something worth selling first, right? If you think that you're going to charge a premium price just because you know 12 other people that are charging a rate that far exceeds what your salary comes out to hourly, right? And you don't have skin in the game and you don't have the experience, you don't have the work ethic to actually be something different, no one is going to pay for your services. And I, that's probably not true, right? That's probably a little harsh, right? People are going to pay for it. But me personally, I spent every single day working for somebody else trying to be better at what I do. I didn't spend every single day trying to learn how to run a business, right? That is also skills that I probably should spend time on, right? But you know, I care very much about having a service worth selling so that if I am trying to sell it, I'm very confident that I do have a product that's going to benefit somebody. I'm not just packaging, let's just say, some of the issues we may have with with different approaches, not just packaging that and selling it for more and then learning how to be really good at marketing and selling. So while I'm perfectly okay with somebody being driven to want to start a business, whether it's right out of school, whether it's a year down the line, 20 years down the line, I don't really care. I wouldn't push everyone to do it if you don't have the confidence in actually being that person for somebody, right? And there's no arbitrary, like, I need to know this much to be able to open a business, right? Like, there is no arbitrary line. And I don't think you'll ever truly feel ready. But I do think that that is probably the limitation, especially with new grads, is that everybody is getting pushed to do this because it's a really great way to motivate people to make a good earning immediately because we obviously know the issues, like, just in PT in general. But then they miss, like, that really big picture. And then all of a sudden, it's like, now they're trying to learn how to uh, build a business and their professional development took a back seat, in which case, who are we helping? Right? Like, And I love that you mentioned that too, because it goes back into like that authenticity component too. And I always say, especially, I mean, I'm in the hospital, people need to be treated, you know, 
nicely. And it's obviously in outpatient, they come maybe in less pain or more medically managed, but like they need to have some kind of buy-in that you actually care for them and not just like the big fat lot of cash that you're going to be getting if you are one-on-one cash based like something like that or have your own your own clinic and patients can see completely right through that if you don't have that passion so yeah you can start your own clinic or you know be an owner of your own place and get your first 20 30 patients in the door that are all paying that at a rate that you have but how are you going to keep the cash flow coming in and how are you going to build upon that and that's going to come from like your word of mouth referrals or people that have exceptional care if you can have like five ten people that you are over the top and do great things for them they will praise you and sing the praises to you in every which way every single day for the rest of their lives which is like worth so much more than running an ad on facebook Um, yeah i like that you mentioned that i think that's great and it's a really good point to have especially with the way that we see a lot of people trying to push the profession I always get messages that are from students that are panicking before they even become new grads in their first job. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is all I see online. I know nothing about business. Obviously, most schools don't talk about it. What would your tips be for them now that you've gone through like several different stages over many years? Well, first thing is like, you have to have a really good filter and you need to be able to see through some of the typical sales pitches that either recruiters or potential employees want to sell you on job interviews, which is way easier said than done now that I have experience rather than if I could put myself back in my shoes, you know, on my first interview, I'll tell you right now, my first job I took because they offered $2,000 more than a different job interview. Right. And to me, I'm like, I know what entry level PTs make, you know, seven years ago. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty good compared to what some of my classmates are making, you know, on the other side of Jersey. And that's what I took. And then I just kind of like barely questioned the other stuff, which obviously in hindsight, right, the difference of $2,000 on a paycheck is like 20 bucks, right? But what I would say is, and I think it's easier today than a decade ago, because you do have access to kind of seeing what some people do is do your research on either an individual, so maybe a PT or a clinic director at a a certain company, and choose who you see yourself working for rather than chasing maybe the optics of a location, the name of a location, right? Because things are deceiving, right? People come and go from companies, but the companies keep their reputation, right? So I would choose somebody that you want to learn from and maybe even go and just shadow or volunteer there before you even graduate, get some experience, maybe even choose somewhere to do a clinical so you can work under somebody, someone that you want to learn very specific skills from, whether it's treatment skills, right? Whether it's educational stuff, whether it's business stuff. And that way, like you at least know the environment that you're surrounding yourself with is something conducive to helping you grow as a professional, right? If you just chase like, wow, that's a really nice turf. And look at all that nice equipment and and look at the people who come here for PT. It's like, look at who I could work with. Like that doesn't tell you anything about the people that you're going to be learning from, right? It doesn't. It doesn't mean that that's necessarily all bad stuff. So that's probably one thing that I would recommend. Definitely putting yourself out there, shadowing people, volunteering. I mean, it used to be more frequent, right? But like people come in for a day, hang out, watch what I'm doing, ask a bunch of questions. And it's just like, kind of one after the other. And I like that because it means that, you know, they're trying to see what they like or what they don't like about, you know, what it is that I do. And they're trying to learn and create their own model for themselves. 
So yeah, I mean, that's really the only experience that could help you. Otherwise, beyond that, everybody wants different things, right? So you don't need to know exactly what you want, maybe 20 years into your career while you're a student, right? When I was a student, I would have told you I never wanted to own my own business. I wouldn't want the, the headache of it. Five years later, everything changed, right? So it's okay. You, you could allow things to change in time. Just constantly ask questions and constantly want to grow and learn new things and understand things through a different level. And you'll leave the door open to being exposed to certain things that then lead to another door opening and, and then, you know, just jump at whatever circumstance or whatever opportunities come your way. Right. It's important to know all of that. And, you know, it's, you're constantly growing and you're constantly learning. And I mean, obviously we all know as we go through school, the classic, like it depends, but I think it's one of those things too, that even as you're going, growing as a clinician, you need to remember, like, you never know your trajectory or where you really are going to end up in five years and constantly learn and expose yourself to different things because you never know where it's going to take you. So I think that's great. I want to switch gears a little bit because I want to continue the conversation that originally prompted me one filming a season two of this podcast. So I was like, oh crap, we need to talk a lot more about this topic. So I have a bunch of people coming on and two, I get angry very quickly on these Instagram stories lately. So your clinic is out of network, correct? Mm -hmm. What was your decision to choose that route? When I opened my clinic, actually... I just opened like purely cash base at the time, which technically is still out of network, but I was not even billing insurance for people. That was because I'm a one man show. I had no billing department. I didn't even know how that process would work. Right. So I just wanted to be up and running and, you know, so on and so forth. Then I was exposed to someone that could help me with the billing and it became something that was feasible without me having to hire multiple people. So when that became an option, I at least was able to offer that to people who had good out-of-network benefits. So I do bill insurance directly still as an out-of-network provider after checking if someone has you know good enough coverage. So I'm at least able to offer that to some people. At the end of the day, at least all I can speak to is physical therapy in New Jersey, right? I mean, reimbursement rates for in-network physical therapy does not allow you to see one person an hour if you want to make a healthy living and if you ever want to grow a business. You know, I can be wrong. This is very much an opinion, but I'm willing to bet all in-network facilities in the country are high-volume clinics and they are not one-on-one. Yeah, uh, most likely not. <laughs> I'm okay if I'm wrong because I am I am completely guessing this or I'm okay if I'm wrong. So I'm sorry. I would at least say like the majority, <laughs> the majority probably are not. I would at least get yeah. that. Explain to, to people who are listening that don't really understand, because I didn't know this until I started working. My first job was in an out-of-network slash cash-based clinic. So for those mm-hmm. who don't know, what would be the difference of billing for out-of-network? Like what qualifies as an out-of-network versus in-network service? Sure. So when you look at your insurance card, all the numbers that are on that insurance card essentially are your in-network benefits, right? So if it says copay, $20, like that is referring to all providers that accept your insurance as an in-network provider. If I were in-network, what that would mean is I have a contract with the insurance company and that contract locks me into collecting a specific amount of money for, you know, whatever, that visit or however many units, whatever the breakdown is, right? It is a fixed number. It is a contract. Being out of network means that I am not contracted by any insurance company. It means that I set my own rates. 
And then with respect to what your insurance benefits are, everyone's breakdown of, of their benefits is different. So what that means is let's let's choose like Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield. That is an insurance company, right? That is not a plan. So Horizon has 4 billion different plan options. So one person can have great coverage without a network and one person could have no out-of-network benefits at all. When you look at someone's out-of-network benefits, then this is where it becomes an absolute hot mess. So when I verify someone's insurance, what I get is a long equation. It almost looks like a sentence. I get if they have a deductible. So a deductible is any amount of money that somebody would have to pay out of pocket prior to insurance, then covering a percentage of their care. And then after that point, it's this really long equation that basically says this plan will cover X percent of, and then there's another equation where it's basically saying whatever that potential reimbursement amount is. So for example, a not uncommon split would be like a 60-40 split. So that means that your insurance company will cover 60% of, and then after that, I would see an equation that tells me say like what that coverage is. So if that comes out to $50, right? They're going to cover 60% of that $50, regardless of what my rates are. If I charge a hundred bucks, if I charge $4,000, that specific insurance plan is like, okay, well, great. I'll pay like 60% of 50 bucks. And then as the provider, right? I have to decide like, the patient either has to cover the rest or this is not good enough coverage for me to accept billing out to this insurance, right? Because we also have to pay like our billing people, in which case I could say, I don't accept that insurance. You're welcome to submit to insurance yourself if you want to collect whatever 20 to $30 on each session, but you'll have to pay my rate out of pocket, right? And then they can go a lot of different ways. So that's what a lot of people don't understand about their coverage is they don't get to see the potential reimbursement from their insurance plan, right? But that is what dictates, at least with the way that I run my business, that's what dictates what your potential copay would be. Your copay is not what you see on your card. That's the copay that you would be paying for an in-network visit, right? right? Your copay is, ba is basically driven by how, how good is your coverage. And it's an yeah. absolute scam. It's an absolute <laughs> scam by insurance, right? And I'm sure you've seen as many of, uh, of my rants as possible, right? Yeah. It's, I'll tell you, I pay something like $1,300 a month through my wife's work for health insurance, right? And we have a 10-month-old, so it covers all three of us. $1,300 a month. Not cheap. <laughs> On top of that... We have something like, and I don't remember specifically, but let's say about a $5,000 deductible. We also have a three or $4,000 in-network deductible. So even if I went in-network, I still have a couple thousand dollars, right? So $1,300, let's just round down and call it a thousand. So that's about $12,000 a year. On top of that, it's saying, by the way, you also have to pay either three or $5,000 more before we decide to cover something. And then if I wanted to go out of network, right, it's possible then that it's only going to cover a small percentage of a small percentage of some discretionary number, right? So what am I paying $1,300 a month for, right? 
and obviously this is my own personal case. Last year, I spent a total of $35 on myself on healthcare. I had to go to a Medi clinic once and I had a $35 copay and I didn't see another doctor again the entire year. Now, obviously I hope that every year goes like that. We can't plan for those things, right? So I, I paid somewhere between 12 and $15,000 last year to have a $35 copay, right? Where- I'm laughing because when I was a PT student, I had to do like the school health coverage. So I just kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, let my parents deal with it. And I was like, I don't understand this, whatever. And then <laughs> I remember I had an epiphany when I like got my actual health insurance through work. And I was like, what do you mean I'm paying for the insurance, but then I have to pay for the service? I was like, what am I paying for? It makes no <laughs> sense. ridiculous. The- the I'm entire like, concept of a deductible makes no sense. The whole health insurance is just, it blows my mind in all right. entirety. And then to know so, that like these reimbursement rates for like on the other end are like this. And I'm so, just- so, so think about this, right? Because I'm going to give you a real example. And this happens super frequently with, with people that want to come see me. So I'm out of network. Let's say you have a $5,000 out of network deductible. And let's say the equation after that implies that your insurance will cover let's just say a hundred dollars per visit okay until your deductible is hit your insurance is paying me a whopping zero dollars and your deductible it differs with each plan but essentially your deductible will only be hit based off of the amount that your insurance reimburses some insurances allow it to count uh, based off of what the provider charges. So that's case by case. I rely on my billing department to give me that information. But it's possible where only what they're willing to reimburse is what then gets put towards a deductible. So let's say you have a $5,000 deductible. Your insurance is willing to cover about $100 a visit. So now I need to tell that person, you know, let's just say my rate is $200. Let's just throw out random numbers, right? So until their deductible is hit, I would charge my out-of-pocket rate, right? So I need to somehow come up with an estimate of how many visits it would take until their deductible is hit and tell them, by the way, I know you have coverage, but you're going to owe $200 a visit until your deductible is hit, which could take 40 to 50 visits. Now, we left because we know a good PT should never have to see someone 40 to 50 times unless they had like, you know, a surgery, right? I see people in somewhere between six to 12 times. So this person's insurance is basically saying it is nearly impossible to hit this deductible because also I see people once a week, sometimes twice a week, if I'm lucky, right? Like, you know, if they actually need it, but on average once a week, how many weeks are there in a year? Not enough. Right. So if I saw them once a week for the entire year, which also can't happen because insurance is going to deny them at some point. Right. I still wouldn't hit that deductible based off of what they are willing to cover. So what math am I not understanding? I can go on about this. The for, math is not math. So, so none, of, none of it <laughs> makes sense. Right. Because also what's going to happen is I see someone once a week. Six weeks into it, they're doing great. And insurance goes, well, you know, is there any reason why you need to keep seeing them? It's like, uh, all right. So there was no way of hitting this fake deductible. There was no way of ever actually having coverage. You just basically faked covering this person's care. 
And what happened? The patient paid more out of pocket while also paying the premium for this insurance plan. So, yes. Now, all that being said, definitely a scam. I'm the one who's unique in seeing people once a week, right? Most people try to push their patients to come in three times a week, even when they don't need it. So then what you're getting is this mass amount of visits in a short period of time. Insurance is not used to people like me who just try to do things the right way. And it's not to say that nobody benefits from three times a week, right? That's not fair. But obviously, listen, I'm outpatient, orthopedic, sports medicine. I don't do a lot of post-op care, right? Like, let's just put that out there so people appreciate the context. But they're not used to someone maybe being seen once a week, once every two weeks. They don't understand any of that, right? They're used to, oh, why am I paying for 60 visits in one or two months? And they're still not making any type of change. And then they start to fight back. And they fight back by not wanting to pay as much by denying visits because they're seeing that this treatment isn't making meaningful change, right? And then it becomes this battle that's occurred over the last one to three decades, right? And this is what we then see from it. So so I get it. I understand why insurance is what it is, but it's it's the biggest scam on earth. And in, New, in the state of New Jersey, you pay a tax penalty if you do not have health insurance. I know you told me that recently and I was, I actually meant to look it up and I haven't yet, but I can't like comprehend that. I feel like that's like a scam in itself almost. Right. Um, so here, I pay $1,200 a month for insurance. And if you don't and you're not covered, then I am going to fine you $1,200 a month. <laughs> and I don't know the number that that was made up. Right. But so like, is it worth yeah. it? Like you have to like weigh, weigh the pros and cons. It's basically oh, like pay me now gosh. or pay me later. I can go on this whole and then I whole yeah and then I become the bad guy because I'm the one who has to educate somebody on their insurance. Meanwhile, everyone calls and says, "Yeah, I've got great coverage. I never have to pay anything." And it's like, well, unfortunately, not unfortunately, you don't have to pay anything because the places you're used to going are willing to accept your twenty dollar reimbursement because they're seeing you next to seven other people for that hour, right? Like insurance yeah. doesn't know if you're going to a. a what we'll call a mill, or if you're going to see someone who's one an hour, they just care about paying as little as possible. So right. some places that see six people an hour, right? Them charging you $50 is them valuing their hour at $300. You're just getting one sixth of their attention, right? So it's like, oh, wow, I only have a $50 copay. Like, this is great. I, they don't even take my insurance and I only have to pay 50 bucks. It's like, okay, well, you know, not to say that you can't see someone great, but it's like, you're, you're getting what you pay for with that. So people really don't understand their, their benefits. And even being someone who works with insurance, it's confusing, right? So yep. it's not even their fault, right? Insurance it's wants true. you to be confused. They I remember want learning you to the choose fun the wrong fact plan. That like, I might say this wrong, so no one come at me, but I'm pretty sure the fun fact that I learned was that like the Medicare Advantage plan is not actually like an advantage plan. Like the word advantage is to show that it like, oh, it can actually like maybe get you more than what is offered, but it's actually I, the lower plan. And I, I, I so much told I me that and you. I was like, that's confusing yeah, all no people. <laughs> I was like, what are you, yes. what? I believe you, but I have no idea. I yeah. mean- I feel like something at, like that would exist anywhere. At the end of the day, my honest belief is that it is made to confuse you so you choose the wrong plan. Uh, whether that is intentional or just a byproduct of the way that it's set up, right? Yeah. Because that if, if you chose a very expensive plan, my question is why are people not 
rewarded for living healthy lifestyles, right? Let's just say you chose a $1,500 a month plan and you never need to use it. Why do you not get a refund check at the end of the year? You think maybe that would incentivize people to live a healthy life? I like that idea. I'm not saying reimburse the whole amount. That's not necessarily fair, right? Like there yeah. has to be money going through the system to be able to cover other people, right? It's it's definitely not like every man for themselves type of right. system, but why not receive some type of refund if you're someone who did not need to pull from the pool of money and be covered for something? But no, we, we do a really good job of keeping people alive, but not teaching people like how to live. Reactive care, not proactive. Right. I'm just curious, what would your response be? Because I know there's some people who are, you know, in various parts of the country that are maybe low socioeconomic or more rural areas that maybe can't afford. I mean, obviously, being in Freehold, New Jersey, you're close to New York City. So it's perhaps like easier to be a little more high ticketed. But Mm -hmm. in those other areas, when people say, oh, I could never open a cash base or out of network clinic here. Like, what is your perspective now being in it as a owner and then as a director? Sure, don't do it. Now, I think I'm half joking. I think step one is like what I said, have something worth selling, right? Like have something that's actually providing a service that someone else is not capable of providing, right? That's definitely step one. I think you need to know your area, right? Like at the end of the day, it needs to be at least somewhat appropriate relative to the area that you're in but then it also comes down to like how well can you explain why you are what you are selling what you're selling how well can you connect with people and how okay are you with not being for everybody right like i am not for everybody and not just financially right like i am not the right therapist for every single person who potentially were to call me Right. But I don't try to capitalize on everybody who calls me. I want to meet the right people that fit what I do well here. So what I do is I build a network of other people that I don't ask people like their personal business stuff, but I know how their businesses are set up. And if if someone can't see me, and let's just say it's for financial reasons, then I recommend them to somebody that I trust that could provide like a at least a decent quality product. Mm-hmm. Right. Like at the end of the day, like I'm not going to change my business because there's a couple of people that can't come to see me. Right. Like it's okay to niche down and, and be for a very specific patient population. Right. That, that needs to be okay too. It's your business, right? It's completely up to you who you want to be. Do you want to be that person who's charging $50 an hour? You know, like we can, that's a discussion in itself as to why I wouldn't necessarily do that. But if that's what you want to do, like by all means, like more power to you, like, I respect that. It's just, I don't think it's a good, good financial decision. So I also think of like, now that you you mentioned some things and it it kind of sparked an idea in my head too, that a good response could potentially be, and you can give me your opinion on this, like some uh, psychologist or therapist, like do sliding scale payments. So like you can offer Mm -hmm. like your going rate, but then obviously if maybe like if they were to go in network and some people have high co-pays and they're paying 50 plus dollars for, you know, that insurance-based mill-based clinic care so maybe right. you'd have a slide and say oh, hey like you don't have to come in two three times a week but maybe this session could be the 100 or 150 because you're getting completely different care and then you can kind of gauge it from there so I think it's kind of you need, you need to expand that window a little and just say oh it's not that this one area can't absolutely definitively not afford this model at all 
but how can you mold it and be flexible with it to offer like at one specific population that you're looking to work with? Yeah, I think it's it's a couple different things, right? There's there's a lot of ways that you could play with it as a business owner. I mean, you can offer payment plans, right? You can offer care credit, which is an option that is basically like a credit card specifically for healthcare. It has different rates than a traditional credit card, so that then becomes a, a variable. You can offer packages that discount your your rate, right? So there are ways. What I would say is I'm not a huge fan of devaluing what you do, right? Now, that doesn't mean like go choose some random astronomical number to sell your services with and and only sell to super rich people. That's definitely not the message. But if you feel very confident that your rates are for a very specific reason, right, you're offering a very specific service, right, then, you know, you, you shouldn't devalue what you do. But if you choose to create some type of plan to be able to help somebody that you know just you know they really want to see you and they just can't financially swing it right like that that would be a a case-by-case basis i do know some people do have sliding scales i don't know how they structure it i tend to more offer like a payment plan option and spread it out over a longer period of time Um, but also what i do for people is i don't force people to see me a certain number of times so if someone really wants to come see me, and, and again, finances are an issue, you know, I say, like, let's get day one in and let's try and do this, like, back and forth through email, through text. Like, I don't charge for those things. So, you know, I, I get my assessment. I, I give them some stuff to work on. We talk about stuff. And then they're, like, sending me pictures and videos through email and text. And I'm trying to kind of troubleshoot stuff for them without actually having to set up an actual appointment. And we do things that way. There's someone that I see twice a week. There's someone that I see once a month, right? Like everyone has a slightly different plan and it's all just based off of like, what is appropriate for you? And are we doing enough to get you towards your goals? And if we're getting towards our goals, then I don't really care what the plan looks like for me as a business owner. I want to be able to help you in a way that allows you to work. But that comes down to understanding how to help people, right? I'm not looking at that from a financial perspective, right? right? I'm not trying to trick somebody into working with me. I'm trying to say, if you really want to work with me and this really isn't in the cards for you, how do we make it work? Yeah. And I think it also kind of reminds you, everybody too, that you're not also going to be able to help everybody because everyone wants to always be like, obviously a lot of people want into this profession to help people and you have to also kind of find that line. Okay, well, let's maybe trial it out, but maybe it's not a good fit. And then kind of being, you know, a little get comfortable in that uncomfortable feeling that, hey, it might not be able to work out. So like, don't force it or understand that you might have to go the opposite direction. There, there are people that I know 100%, I could have had them feeling absolutely better day one. Don't ask how I know that. I just, I know 100% and still... I wasn't able to get them to buy in to commit to doing that day because they had stuck in their mind PT is three times a week for eight weeks, right? They start doing some math on, you know, what they would potentially owe out of pocket, right? So there's always going to be circumstances where you're not going to be able to either make that connection or help somebody. And it's, it is going to be frustrating as the business owner, right? For a number of reasons. One, because for some people, right, I realize that, like, all we need to do is find the right thing, and we can create meaningful change, right? For other people, it is a process, and you can give them a better indication of what the maybe long-term process looks like and give them a fair expectation of of what they would potentially owe out of pocket, right? Other people, it's more of like, well, 
I don't know, like, let's do one thing and see what it does. If that's enough, like, all right, great. Then because otherwise what they do is they get put through that like traditional cycle of before someone even meets them, they know they're seeing them three times a week. They still have like a $50 copay. So they're paying $150 a week times four for the month. That's $600 for the month. And we could have a difference of opinions on models and, and treatment philosophies. You know, that is what it is. But if they're not seeing the results that they want, being seen 12 times in a month for, for $600, like just because you saved money per visit, like where did it get you, right? So it's hard though, right? Because there's no guarantees, right? And what we do, there's no guarantees in what you're able to do for people. You're confident in what you're able to offer. And with experience, hopefully you, you can see who's the right fit for you when they come in. And you just try and be as honest as you can with people and, and set some type of expectation and, and just allow them to decide for themselves. Yeah. And I like that you framed it that way too, because it, again, it's a lot of mental gymnastics for not only the clinician or the business owner, or if they're the same person, um, but also the consumer and the patient, because they're obviously coming to you with an issue and they want it resolved and they want to get better, but they're also being met with a bunch of other barriers that they're like, oh gosh, what am I supposed to do? So everyone has to take on many hats and it can be very overwhelming for everybody. Yeah, I think a lot of this process is overwhelming to patients because it puts a lot more responsibility on the patient. And the patients with experience in, let's just say, healthcare, have a preconceived notion as to what they think PT is, what they think Cairo is, what they think an orthopedist role is, right? Like they think they know certain things about mm -hmm. like what the process should be, right? So when they're met with something that may not look like the traditional approach, now all of a sudden, it's almost like you need to get people to unlearn some things that they previously believed in order to then teach them something new, right? And then it becomes a responsibility on the patient to be able to filter out, like, how do I know if, if this person is the right clinician for me? Because I'll say a majority, although I, I would hope that this is changing in society, a majority of people believe that everybody knows and does the exact same thing in you know their own respective fields, right? It, it takes, unfortunately, a bad experience or a bad outcome for them to start to question and be like, wait a second, is there someone who does things differently? Maybe I should should look elsewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So now it's their responsibility to, to filter that out. Because otherwise, if everybody did do the exact same things and were able to offer the same things, then I would go the cheaper route, right? Like exactly. I, if it were comparing apples to apples, who wouldn't pay less? If McDonald's tasted like Ruth Chris, right? Like I would pay a dollar for that steak. You know what I mean? Like I don't put any of the blame on the patient. That's perfectly appropriate to think that way. Like who doesn't want to save money on certain things, but then you just need to ask the right questions, which unfortunately requires education and information to know that you even need to do those things. Exactly. Yeah. I want to start wrapping up a little bit. Do you have any final thoughts on any of the topics that we've spoken about so far? Or any final tips for anyone listening to this? I think if you are, it doesn't even matter if you're a student, right? If you're, if you're a PT at any point in your career, I think it's really important to just constantly question everything, right? If you're, if you're working with a, a mentor, if you're working with a teacher, like just, just try to get as much information as possible and question why things work, why things don't work. What are other ways to reach a particular goal? Question everything. And the more you question, the better your questions are going to be, the better you can you know, find a more efficient answer or a better answer. And then just constantly revise 
that process over and over and over again. Like that was the one thing that I would say that I was probably just naturally born with. I had a lot of questions with absolutely no answers for a very long time. And I just constantly were like, this didn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. I don't know why. I, I, I don't even know what my question is. I just know that I don't agree with what I'm hearing. And then I was just fortunate enough to be exposed to people that were able to help start to fill in those gaps. So, you know, just put yourself out there, ask a lot of questions and, and question absolutely everything. I love that because I'm completely the same way. So I preach that philosophy to like anyone that I speak to. So that was a solid note to end on. Where can people find you if they want to chat or have other questions or just, you know, reach out? Uh, sure. So I am pretty much only on Instagram because there's just only so much time in the day uh, and I only have so long of an attention span. So you can find me at, at GameChangerPT underscore NJ. So that is my business. That is that is my, my personal Instagram. Otherwise, my office is in Freehold, New Jersey, if you're in the Monmouth County area or be free to email me. My email is Jeremy at GameChangerNJ.com. Uh, I'm always open to to talking about anything. I very much go on rants about these things on a regular basis because it's frustrating. It is frustrating when you talk about it, but I think it's important to be able to spread the information from experience. So so yeah, that's where you could find me. I feel like we still have so much more to talk about. So maybe we'll film a second <laughs> episode for later this season because I, I feel like we can just keep diving into so many more topics. But thank you so much for coming on. It was great to chat with you and you guys know where to find them if you have any questions. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.